As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Short. Nice ball in that header. Brilliant! Is it crossed the line? Yes, it has! Fantastic header! This is Talk of the Devils, the Athletics podcast dedicated to Manchester United. And my word, have we got a lot to reflect on today and look forward to as well. We've got that incredible draw at Stamford Bridge. Weird how 1-1 felt so much better than 0-0. We've got FC Sheriff to preview. Uh, Varane's injured to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo's situation. A Borough update that hasn't involved a U-turn from Laurie Whitwell. And is Casimiro the new king of money? Emphasis on money. We'll answer that towards the end of the pod. That's worth waiting for, I'm sure. Uh, right, let's introduce you to the panel then. Laurie Whitwell is with us. Hi, Laurie. Hi, guys. How are you doing? It's been a while, hasn't it? A lot has happened since, certainly. Andy, you all right? Andy Mitten's with us. All good, mate. Looking forward to this. Back in Barca as well. Nice to see that bookshelf again. Um, Laurie, you were there at Stamford Bridge. I said then that 1-1 felt better than 0-0. It certainly felt better than 1-0, didn't it? Yeah, for sure. And um, yeah, I think it was, it was good that United scored in a game where they control Chelsea I think it's a rare thing to go to Stamford Bridge and have that much possession and it was just the final pass wasn't it it was the some cautious moments in that first half where maybe a bit more bravery a bit more creativity would have would have paid off Bruno Fernandes was the one that put the passes through to get those chances that perhaps you know could have been resulted in goals uh, Anthony and, and Marcus Rashford um, but I think it was encouraging as a display overall you know Graham Potter uh, was there on the touchlines and at Stamford Bridge it's great the press box is like right behind the dugout so you can see every sort of discussion that's going on how the managers react and and Graham Potter from you know pretty much the, the first minute was kind of encouraging Ben Chilwell and, and Kukurea to kind of get more forward he was shouting Chile quite a lot um, to kind of get him to move around and then so it wasn't actually that much of a surprise when he made a substitution you know 36 minutes in um, or whatever it was and, and then changed to a back four because United were sort of dominating that midfield so I think you know as a kind of tactical battle between the two of them because Eric Ten Hag then obviously changed it didn't he with, with taking Sancho off and putting Fred on um, I thought it was a really kind of uh, engaging battle to observe and, and, and so encouragement but then that's you know Unnecessary moment, I think, from Scott McTominay. I don't know if we would want to debate whether it was a whether it is a penalty or not. You know, I know there's always jostling in the area, but it just felt like a, a silly thing to do to kind of give Chelsea a chance like that because it didn't look like they were going to score at any point prior to that. Chelsea, you know, the stadium's rocking; it's all up and 
high tempo. So for United to actually then respond to that in, in dramatic circumstances, I mean, that 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 header from Casemiro was was awesome, wasn't it? And the away end that followed was was brilliant. The away end that obviously was cut by the Metropolitan Police decision to class this as a high risk fixture, and you know the half five kickoff um, was was a, a, an issue in that, which we might we, we might touch on actually. We've got a little item, um, an update on that in in the column today um, that's on the Athletic. But I just thought the the way that the, the players celebrated, Martinez grabbing a fan, bringing him towards him. Usually it's the other way around, isn't it? You know, fans are grabbing players. Anthony standing on the hoardings, Casemiro losing his mind, Bruno giving it the fist pump. It just felt, yeah, that goal then gave a lot more energy, didn't it? A lot more positivity about the performance than a nil-nil or obviously a one-nil would have done. Yeah, Laurie, you've written about the tactical battle and we'll talk about that in a minute. We'll also talk about Casemiro's header as well. Nick Miller's article on The Athletic said, given the moment and given the level of difficulty, you'll rarely see a better one this season. Um, more than the header though, Andy you'll rarely see a better moment for a fan base and a team connecting than that. That felt like a really important celebration for Manchester United, didn't it? Because it was. Chelsea are obviously a good team. I think Manchester United didn't deserve to lose that match. When Casemiro came to England, one of the things he wanted to do was play in front of packed away ends. It doesn't really happen for him in Spain. When Real Madrid were playing all around the country... You've got 50 fans there travelling. Even at the Madrid derby, you've got hardly any. And that's a side of the culture which he, he was used to in in Brazil and he wanted to play in front of when he came to England. So for that goal to happen in front of that tight, small, former shed end where the United fans were over two tiers, with all those empty seats around them, which shouldn't have happened, those seats should have been full of travelling Reds, it was a great header. We've spoken on the podcast first uh, Ammonia away, just how good he is in the air. His statistics are, are frightening because he isn't the tallest. And for him to get that, got the point, stopped Chelsea getting three points. I think that's important as well because Manchester United stay really close to them. Probably meant that Scott McTominay didn't get a load of abuse for, for that penalty. And as you mentioned, Martinez... Look who Martinez has played against in recent weeks. Done really well, playing against some of the best strikers in the world. For him to dive into the away end, everyone just walked, walked home absolutely buzzing. And speaking to my mates on the Fulham Broadway, people were singing. Not, oh, what fun it is to see United win away, but it was always going to be a draw, wasn't it? Because every game against Chelsea is a draw. That's a fifth consecutive draw against Chelsea. But in the first half, I felt, first of all, I remember a game against Chelsea under David Moyes and it was the first time in 20-odd years when I felt Manchester United wouldn't win a match because the team were on a decline. And Saturday was the first time in a long while where I felt Manchester United are going to win this match. And United have had some great results in recent years, but often on the counter-attack. They took the game to Chelsea, easily the best team in the first half. Lots of progress, lots of possession. Not sharp enough in front of goal, let's be honest. You've got to put some of them chances away. Even one of them would have made all the difference. But that Casemiro header was fantastic. And coming off the back of that amazing performance against Spurs, I think there's a good vibe about Manchester United. Only a draw, Laurie, but was that Casemiro header the moment of the season so far? Ooh, I mean, the Anthony goal against Arsenal was was pretty good, Mm. I think. Up there. 
particularly with the Tiger Prowl celebration. That was a, a slightly different celebration, more... Up there for different reasons, maybe, yeah? Yeah, more, more, more staged than a kind of a raw... Sancho's goal against Liverpool, I suppose, as well, when he sat down half of Old Trafford. Yeah, I was going to say that. No, but I do think just the, all the context of it, and we, we will mention the Ronaldo thing. I think that was mm. the only thing I didn't mention in my you know first answer, which kind of tried to cover every single base of this podcast. But... Um, <laughs> In the context of dropping Ronaldo, taking that affirmative action from the manager to, you know, as he says, instill standards and cultures at a, at a club, no matter how big a name, to come away from it with a point is, is at least, you know, with, with a kind of positive feel out of it, it is is a positive thing because. Tenag afterwards said it wouldn't have mattered if Casemiro hadn't scored. You know that wasn't the important thing. The important thing is the is the wider picture and longer term aims of the club. And I think obviously that is you know true. But nonetheless, all the talk would have been about Ronaldo. I mean, there was enough talk. You know, we had Roy Keane and Gary Neville trading. You know, kind of. Uh, incredible uh, set two on the on the Sky Sports with Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank sort of uh, you know bemused in, in the middle, but it would there would have been more even than that you know written spoken about it you know um, could he have put those chances away? So for the fact that you actually did score and came away from Chelsea, you know, a really good team with a creditable performance and a point, I think is a is a positive thing. Yeah, when teams are finishing games strongly, that's a good sign that there's a good team spirit and exactly we've yeah. seen it recently. Even at Everton away when they were pushing towards the end and Varane came on as substitute and did really well. If Manchester United are finishing games strongly, that's a really good sign because there's been so many times when that hasn't happened. And when Chelsea went ahead, I thought, oh no, it's so unfair. I hate football. Never watching this sport again. So to come back, it, it was a weird feeling. I didn't expect United to dominate in the first half. And I was surprised when United uh, came back in. But what a header. And when you're buying the best midfielders in the world, you, you you need and want some of those incredible moments like the Casemiro header. And there was a little point as well, just more on, on Ten Hag, in that as soon as Jorginho scored that penalty, he, he calls uh, Bruno Fernandes over to him, you know, his captain, and, and gives him instructions, which basically looked like, because then Fernandes went to Luke Shaw and Diogo Dalot to say, get forward. He was sort of pointing wide to the wings. So clearly he was thinking, right, Okay, I know it's not exactly kind of revolutionary tactics, you know, fullbacks get forward, put crosses into the box, but Fergie time tactic. Fergie time. It's an, it's an old, old classic Manchester United tactic. Exactly, isn't it? and and ultimately, listen, you know, Diogo Dalot had a cross from the right that was cleared, and then it's Luke Shaw's cross deep into the box from a sort of detached position that actually gets the goal. And I just, but more than that, even if it hadn't worked, I think it was just you know good to see Ten Hag being so alert to the situation actively, instantly trying to do something about it, not kind of having to think about it and wonder what he was going to do. Um, you know, clearly he's someone that wants to be the protagonist in this story of, of being a manager at Manchester United rather than feeling like, you know, he's he's not particularly got a, a sturdy footing. Yeah, your article is on The Athletic now. If people haven't read it, they can go and have a look. Tactics board, discipline and clear ideas. I think the one thing from the fans' perspective is is latching on to a manager who is being proactive in-game and making positive changes to, to the side. Okay, sometimes they don't work, but you know, on a day like Saturday when they do work, that's often been a criticism of previous managers, Andy, that they've not been reacting to what we've been seeing in a match. Let's go back to that bloody Fred booking for PSG and all that sort of stuff. Um it's just a really positive sign when you can see a manager making changes that make a difference. Yeah, it was a big criticism of 
Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I think the first person who made the change on Saturday was Graham Potter because he could see that his team were getting totally outclassed, especially in the middle. Lovely to say Manchester United dominating a top team away from home in the middle of the park because that area of the pitch has been a weakness for Manchester United. So Potter made his change and then Tyne Hag made his change and it completely affected the game then. Everything about the game changed. I thought the second half was quite boring until the dramatic end, but I thought the first half was really good. And that's what top-level managers do. They have the ability to do that. I know a lot of them are led by data at the moment and they're looking at positions as well as all the stuff that they can see with their, their own eyes. But it was smart. And... There were times under Ollie where you're like, just bring, make a change, bring a substitute on. That's probably the best example with Fred where people were saying, why have you not brought um, Nemanja Matic on? I did ask the question and just got told because he's not fast enough to deal with uh, PSG's very fast midfielders. don't think we've got quite the same worry now with Manchester United. You've got different options there, different types of players. And Fred was brilliant against... Tottenham he wasn't so good against Chelsea what he's got to push for is more consistency and I think he knows that as well and he can just look to Casemiro he's like 8 out of 10 every week at the moment it's really encouraging to see Scott he had a good start to this season uh, I think every United fan was was cursing him after that penalty apart from those who didn't think it was a penalty uh, and there were a few of them but I, I just thought it was a penalty and thankfully Casemiro could, could rescue it and then you get greedy you think Drew two and won one game last week. If only it would have been another win against Newcastle if the chances would have been taken. But look at the quality of the teams Manchester United are playing. United have played eleven of the uh, nine of the top eleven. Obviously, they can't play all of them because they're one of them. Manchester United are one of those teams. Sure, and only two of the bottom nine. So all things being equal, which it never is in football, because United often struggle to break down the weaker teams. Manchester United really should be doing better. And, and that adds more encouragement for, uh, for for me. If the start to... It's a shame that that Palace game got cancelled, especially the Leeds game as well, because the league table might look slightly different. But I'm feeling all right about United at the moment. I think there's a, a good feeling about it. Before we talk about the one sour note, really, which was Rafael Varane's injury, Casemiro's celebration, Laurie, the little jig that he did, which we've seen in slow motion so many times, I think I've watched it about 100 times already, it reminded me of Sir Alex Ferguson. You know that moment where... You just sort of lose yourself, so you don't really sure exactly how to express the emotion. You sort of do this little like hop and a skip, amazing. Yeah, I might have to steal that move for the dance floor, just as a little celebratory whenever a good tune comes on. Yeah, this is what I'm feeling like. But I suppose you can't really plan those kind of things, can you? It's supposed to be spontaneous. Well, it just sort of like erupted out of him, and anyone who had any doubt about whether he wants to go and do it again, yeah, you know, after all the success he's had in Madrid. Just look at that celebration for a draw. That is a, it's a really, really true point that it, it, it looked like a genuine you know, eruption of true feeling from within. And I really enjoy what Andy said there about you know him being able to go to away games where they have got a packed you know stand. Um, and also, I mean, he did when he finished at Real Madrid. He won the Champions League again, and he said, "I want a new challenge." You know, it was it was you know driven by his desire to leave Real Madrid rather than United. Um, you know, particularly actively pursuing Casemiro specifically, 
But then when that conversation starts, you know, they they look at it and go, okay, this, this could really work for us. And you've got a midfield there of Casemiro and Eriksen, two players that are very comfortable on the on the ball. I mean, some of those passes that Casemiro did, we had a great angle for the one that he whipped out to the um to the wing. I think it was was it Anthony or, or Diogo Dalot that it went to, where it looked like he was in a bit of trouble and he kind of turned and, and just put his foot round it. And then you had Eriksen as well, sort of turning out of tight spaces when Chelsea were trying to press. So to have two players that are very comfortable on the ball is really a departure from what they've had previously um I suppose you just hope that they can keep going because obviously they're both over 30 so you know enjoy it while it lasts I suppose but it is it is great to see to have such comfort in the midfield and and players that clearly want to play for the club yeah that it screamed that didn't it that celebration Let, let's talk about Varane then um it was reported after the game quite distressing to see him and his reaction initially wasn't it um, when he got injured at Stamford Bridge but it was reported that he had a lesion on his femoral bicep, which I have never heard of before and had us all thinking immediately that he'd, he'd hurt his arm in some yeah. way and not his knee. United are saying that they want to give it a little bit more time before they make any sort of assessment of, of his exact uh, situation. Um, I guess from Varane's perspective, he's thinking about the World Cup and getting back for that. United, uh, Andy, are thinking, can he play again for us before the World Cup? As far as you understand it, do you think we'll see him again before Boxing Day? As far as I understand what you just said about his description of the injury is accurate. And I did check that out the day after on Sunday. But these things can change as well. Um, When he looked really emotional, um, when he went off, uh, I felt it could be something really serious as if he knows his body better than anybody else. And is he going to be out for six months, nine months, something like that? So... I was quite pleased to be here in three to four weeks. I'd be very surprised if he plays for Manchester United um, before the World Cup. Obviously, the World Cup is a major thing for for him, and that's understandable. So, Forrest, I think, is the most likely time then he comes back. And I can sort of live with that. I can't live with what happened to him last season, where he just missed far too many games. But such a good player. And his partnership with Martinez has been so encouraging this season. They're completely different types of defenders but they complement each other and I think the best central defensive partners partnerships are like that if you look at Vidic and, and Rio they had different skill set and it's the same with with Varane and Martinez and I know there's other defenders there, and I know that Lindelof came on and did okay and Harry Maguire's coming back as well he's also looking forward to the World Cup but the, the, the two who were mentioned are the men at the moment and I think that they are the, the first choice central defenders for Manchester United and when I see that spine with Varane and with Casemiro just think team's starting to look like winners again going to places not fearing a defeat don't forget as recently as, as August Manchester United had been on the run of seven straight away defeats we feel so far from that point at the moment and I know there's going to be more bumps along the way but I feel really encouraged by uh, the recruitment from the summer, the way things are going and them top world-class players. And and as Laurie said, they wanted to come to Manchester United. Clearly, they're well-paid. You know, Casemiro didn't say, I want to play in England and I really want want to play for Stockport County. He he wanted to go to a big club on on a big stage. Uh, But all my understanding of the situation with both of them, and I believe this, is they really, really wanted to come. And there were other players who said they wanted to come but it was more about money and Manchester United said no to that. So if them two can stay fit, then that adds 20% to Manchester United. And you'd have the confidence to go to places like Anfield and 
and go toe-to-toe with Liverpool for the first time in a few years. Yep. Keep your eyes peeled to The Athletic for updates on Rafael Varane's injury situation. Remember, you can subscribe and pay just £1 a month for the first six months when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. You can read all our great writing on Manchester United and the world of football as a whole, plus get ad-free versions of our podcast as well. That's £1 a month for the first six months when you sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, of course, there was a major development in Cristiano Ronaldo's situation after we last recorded this podcast, and that was obviously the revelation that it emerged that he had refused to come on as a sub during that game against Tottenham. Of course, the statement came shortly after as well to say that he was being suspended for the game against Chelsea. Uh, There was reports of showdown talks on Monday. Uh, Well, we can confirm that they didn't happen because Manchester United's players were given a day off today, so there was no one actually at Carrington Um, to have those showdown talks, but the two will be speaking in due course to sort out exactly how Ronaldo and the club moves forward from this point. Uh, It's usually David Ornstein, of course, writing the Monday News column, but they brought in the big boys this week, so Laurie Whitwell wrote it instead. What's the latest then on Cristiano Ronaldo's situation, Laurie? Because I can't believe quite how much has happened since we last recorded on Thursday, just on this one topic. It's mad, isn't it? Like we, we, we were ahead of the game, I felt like with what we were saying from the fact that he'd left the stadium early. Like that was a decent line. The fact that everyone saw him leave the touchline, but then actually for him to go home before the final whistle was, was pretty staggering. And then, yeah, it then emerged that actually he had refused to come on. Credit to uh, Chris Wheeler and the Mail. They, they broke that very quickly on the five o'clock about five o'clock in the evening, um, we'd heard the same and we were trying to sort of stand it up, basically. Um, and then we'd also heard that Ten Hag was going to separate him from the, the first team group, which I was trying to establish what did that actually look like. Um, so, you know, you kind of try and put as many calls in as you can and you realise that it's a story that everyone's chasing, so you sort of frantically um, putting pressure on. And then the statement came out from United, though. So as soon as they did that, you realise, OK, this is the steps they're taking. He's actually not going to be training with the team. He's not in the match day squad for Chelsea. Okay, well, they'll reassess it after that. But I think that was quite a, a bold move by United to actually put a statement out because they could have just sort of done it privately, but they've actually wanted to communicate that they are. They had a press conference the next day as well, didn't they? You know, Andy and I were, were speaking to Eric Ten Hag, you know, less than 24 hours after doing the podcast. So they could have just left yeah. until then, in, th- yeah, in fairness. Yeah, I think they wanted to communicate that they were behind him on this decision. I mean, it goes back to the authority that Eric Ten Hag has at the club with signings and, and contract decisions, things like that. This is something that he felt is uh, essential to do to maintain uh, standards at, at the club. And I think it's the right thing. You, ha- you can't have a player that 
um, leaves the stadium early and refuses to come on. We're, we're trying to figure out exactly the the refusal to come on bit um, because I, I get it. I, I was looking at it thinking he sort of stood there, isn't he, in front of the dugout as Alanga and Eriksson are going on against Spurs late on in the game. Almost like, don't forget about me, boss. I am here. I, I want to go on. So I wonder if Eric then sort of said to him, right, you, you're going on, but it's after these two subs and he's kind of thinking that's insulting to me. It's injury time. Why does that matter though? What, when, Barry, when, when he refused. refused. Well, I don't know. I'm just curious. As part of those subs or yeah, after. Yeah, I, I, it's just, I don't know, my curiosity. I'm just kind of in, intrigued to kind of see how it shook down, you know, and, and trying to work out at what point Ronaldo... He obviously lost his head, didn't he? Really, I mean, he's kind of accepted that in the he said that in, in the Instagram post, yeah. yeah. So, which also came after the podcast. Well, there we go. <laughs> and we're, we're still wait. Need to speak to them well, next time. It. Make sure they get it out before we record. <laughs> yeah. So I, I got a call from 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 Laurie at eighteen forty four on Thursday. That's Spanish time, just and to Laurie's... check, Andy. By the way. No. So oh, five, in, five, um... yeah, five forty-five. Don't 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 mind my chronology to be uh, mixed up here. Okay, 5.44. I was stood by the River Irwell in Manchester. Oh, so I'm wrong then, aren't I? I saw you weren't in Barcelona. (laughs) It was on that story. And uh, two minutes later, a club statement from Manchester United. Cristiano will not be part of the squad for Saturday's game against Chelsea. So it it made me laugh that. I just... Minding my own business, having a having a beer. <laughs> ah, beer, no cocktails. Beer brewed in Salford, absolutely no cocktails. And then bang, 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 bang. You know, you could just see the news just just coming through. So I totally ignored all of it and carried on having a beer. And then the next morning, Ian and I were at, were at Carrington. I think we were we the only two journalists who didn't ask Eric about the Cristiano Ronaldo thing. Well, if we didn't know that, enough people on Twitter have jumped on that, haven't they? And they're all telling me why you're pulling faces when Eric Ten Hag says he's, he's refused to play. And I didn't even realise I was being filmed at that point, but I had a really heavy cold. Oh. So the, the reason my mouth was wide open was so I could breathe. It was no more than that, really, to be honest. I couldn't see you because I was sat behind you and I can't see f- um, f- through heads and I was feeling a bit rough myself. But I thought that Ten Hag dealt with it really well in the press conference. Yeah, I agree. I, I felt that he showed that he's in control and he was very matter of fact. I was impressed. I walked out of Carrington the other day with my opinion of him. Pretty consistent with how it's been since we're on the pre-season tour. He is a disciplinarian, but... He's not power crazy with it. He's not anal with it like um, at times uh, Louis van Gaal was was uh, criticised for. So I think he's handled it well and it pushes it back onto Cristiano now to what do you want here? And the facts are he wanted to leave and nobody came in for him. So there's so much noise in the summer. Yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. No, no, no. The fact is he wanted to leave Manchester United and nobody came in for him. So if he gets his head together and he can help Manchester United, then that's absolutely great. But I think Eric Ten Hag has come out of this a lot better than Cristiano Ronaldo. We were wondering, weren't we, after the Vallecano game where he went home at half-time and Ten Hag said, unacceptable. And um, you know, my question was, OK, well, if it's unacceptable, what's the next step then? Is it just say it's unacceptable and don't do it again? And he basically said, yeah, that's it. So then Ronaldo has done it again. So he has to have consequences to it otherwise his word doesn't mean anything to the players so it's not just for the Ronaldo situation it's also for the rest of the players to say actually I will take action if there's something that steps out of line it will be you know a singular thing it's not like this is going to go on and on if we have a conversation you want to come back in you can come back in it's a it's a very straightforward logical um, kind of conclusion that he's drawn but 
It also means that when he is shouting on the touchline for a player to make a run or when he is asking them to do something in a training drill, they know that actually he's doing it with a, a purpose, with a, a reason behind it. An expectation of you actually doing it. Yeah. And if they don't do it, then you know there will be consequences. So I admire what he's done here. It's a show of strength for sure. Um, but again, Ronaldo is not going to be a player for him beyond this season. You know, we'll discuss the January issue uh, perhaps next. But you know, it, he's not the future for Ten Hag. So he, he understands that he can actually. He's got the authority. Ralph Rangnick didn't have the authority. He's an interim manager. Ten Hag's going to be here for longer than Ronaldo. So that's where that, and that's why the club have, have backed him. Well, forget January even for the moment. The interesting aspect for me, Andy, and I thought it was one of the most interesting things in Ten Hag's uh, press conference as well, was the idea that it wasn't quite finished necessarily. So, you know, this punishment has been handed down. Ronaldo's made his statement. Eric Ten Hag and Cristiano Ronaldo had spoken, but there was the sort of inference in that press conference that they were going to have to speak again to then decide whether or not Ronaldo was going to be reintegrated to the group and be picked potentially for the next game. I thought that was really intriguing because that sort of suggested that there's the potential for this not to end here, that there might be more to come. And actually seeing now whether Ronaldo is involved or not against Sheriff is probably going to be the first sign that we get about how exactly this punishment has been received by Ronaldo. Good. It's proportional. It's accurate. Cristiano Ronaldo has a contract at Manchester United. I didn't see any glee in Eric Ten Hag. I felt that he'd rather not have this problem, but it has been a nettle that he needed to grasp almost from the start in his time at Manchester United. And I think that he's done it well. Uh, Cristiano knows who's boss at Manchester United. If he's got a million suitors lined up, then go and take them. The truth is that he hasn't. And he'll be coming in his own mind, accepting the fact that he's not the player that he once was. But he, he, he still can offer things to Manchester United. I said last week during the Tottenham game, that was actually perfect for him with all those players buzzing around. If he would have been in the middle of that, you wouldn't have put it past Cristiano to score a couple of goals. Alas, that didn't happen. Ten Hag is in control. He's the manager. The most important person at a football club should be the manager. And as Laurie said, um, Ralph Rangnick was only ever interim. He didn't have that power base. He didn't have everyone pushing in the same direction as him. Eric Ten Hag does have got people behind him, supporting him. United have acted well. Cristiano Ronaldo um, has basically got to take that on the chin. Uh, train hard. And if he comes back more determined uh, to play well, well, this United team actually needs goals. Not scored anything like as enough goals this season. There's going to be loads of games. There's games at the moment. You said about Sheriff. He has been playing in the Europa League with, with mixed success so far this season. Is it inconceivable that he starts against Sheriff and scores two goals? Not at all. I think he will start against Sheriff, Laurie. I don't know. It'd be a big, a big shift, wouldn't it? Hard to know. It, it, it? it depends how the talks go, and, and you, you can imagine that Ronaldo is still seething. Whatever, whatever he says now, Ronaldo, you know, still wants out, doesn't he? You know, th- th- this is, this is going to end in a kind of a pretty. I don't know, a sad way really, I suppose, given how thrilling it was when he came back and we were excited, weren't we? But but I, but I wonder if he can get his head round, you know, just not being a starter every week, that's it. It comes down to that. If he can accept, you know, I mean, maybe he will say that it's insulting to not get sent on against Man City and to then be sent on for like the last minute or something against Spurs. So that he, he will think that that is more 
than okay if you send me on for 30 minutes against Spurs I'll, I'll take that you know it's, it's probably gradients I don't know but so if he can get his head around that then then yeah I guess we could start against Sheriff but I'd, I'd perhaps be surprised just because Tenag hasn't really changed his team all that much even for the Europa he still needs to win that game I know it's Sharif and they should be able to beat them fairly comfortably but you know they need to really go into that Real Sociedad game with a chance to top the group as we've said before to try and avoid those two extra fixtures in the knockout phase but yeah we'll see that, that yeah as you as you said earlier you know the players are off on Monday as we record this um, Tenag decided that after the Chelsea game you know they deserved the, the, the 24 hour break extra after playing four games in 10 days uh, so we'll see how talks go you know on Tuesday uh, once we presume Cristiano Ronaldo is, is back in um, but the the kind of wider longer picture for Man United is as Andy says you know the offer that he had in in the summer was from Al Hilal you know a multi multi million pound offer enormous uh, value to him personally and I think United would have got a transfer fee out of it but not Champions League club that's basically saying I accept semi-retirement uh, and you know it was never really on the table um, there was in terms of Interest. There was obviously lots of clubs that were approached, you know, by his agent George Mendes. Chelsea were probably the one that he thought, you know, that's going to be my option here. Todd Bowley wanted him. Thomas Tuchel didn't, and that's where it ended. Whether they that changes now that Graham Potter's in charge, I don't know. But they've obviously got Piero Emerick Aubameyang now. Um, but so are there are there any clubs out there for him? I don't think anyone would pay a transfer fee. So it comes down to Manchester United. Can they have an agreement with Cristiano Ronaldo where? He departs the club and it's a free transfer. I think if they, you know, if it got to a stage where he was becoming so difficult for Ten Hag, it was detrimental to the squad. They would accept that um, because it would save them, you know, by far their highest earner in wages for the for the final six months. If he's not contributing to the team in a positive way, um, what I think they won't do is pay him up so that you know whatever you know you can come to these agreements, can't you, with players? Okay, you're contracted for another six months. It's worth X amount of money, you know two, three million, whatever it is, we'll pay you a percentage of that and you can go now. I don't think United will do that because that costs them money. Then they've got to, you know, perhaps buy a replacement or, or do something. They might I suppose they could get some kind of low cost emergency if they really needed to, but it would be a body out the door and Tenag would want that replacing. So I don't think United would countenance having to pay twice for for the for the privilege of, of that. So but it's a really interesting dynamic that, that they're going to see now. And the World Cup is upon us, isn't it? You know, he wants to play for Portugal at the World Cup. How does that all work? into it as well. Yeah, I think publicly as well, the club have been very clear that Eric Ten Hag sees Cristiano Ronaldo as an important part of his squad. That was reiterated multiple times in the press conference. It's in the statement. You speak to anyone around the club and that's the line that they repeat as well. So, you know, that's maybe not the full picture if you're going to sort of read behind the scenes and the inference in some of the things that have happened. But at least the public stance remains that for the moment. Just before we move it on then, there's also a line in the column that used to be David Ornstein's and is now Laurie Whitwell's on The Athletic about the fan advisory board, which is basically, of course, a group that the club put together of sort of key individuals from the, the fan base um, to entrench the link between the fans and the club. One of the ideas uh, that came up in the aftermath, of course, of the failed European Super League plot. Um, what do you make of, of what's been said, Andy? So basically the board, the fan advisory board, have met with Joe Glazer to discuss the financial results and especially spoken about the dividends, which of course is a major, major issue. It is a major issue when Manchester United are losing money and they're taking those significant uh, dividends, including some which were delayed from during the COVID point. I don't think it's a good look. I think that the the Glazers uh, have seen 
their asset grow in terms of the value of Manchester United. I think if they're not planning to go anywhere and they say that, and then not taking a dividend would be one less reason to be annoyed with them every single year. So it's not a good look, and I think it's good that the, the Fan Advisory Board asks the questions. It has been asked before. It was asked in that very first uh, talk with Joel Glazer, and he pushed back and said, we don't think what we take is a huge number in the greater scheme of things, given the revenue of Manchester United, but it's also about optics, this. And I think if they didn't take those dividends, that would be good. Or if they said, we're not taking a dividend for five years, we're putting the money back into stadium development or expanding Carrington, something like that. Um, I don't think there'd be any objections to that. Do I think that will happen from the Glazers not taking a dividend? No, I don't. I agree with what Andy's saying there. It'd be interesting as to what Joel Glazer's response to this is, but I think it's quite good that they've got this fan advisory board that actually has the opportunity to directly ask him these questions and, you know, I think put them quite robustly to him, you know, have these honest conversations and, okay, it's up to him whether you know, changes course on whatever it is, you know, in this case, dividends, but there's, there's other things. I think it was like a four-hour meeting that so they discussed a lot of things. And and so that's the idea is that he can at least hear directly from fans so that that, you know, uh, colours his decision-making process. Um, but I think if he... So, so I think at least they've got that sort of face-to-face, you know, uh, confrontation. If, you know, and clearly the dividends... I mean, is there a way that, you know, do, do the Glazers have to take dividends? You know, uh, if... if could it be for the other shareholders that take the money? If they're talking about the stock price and you're know, kind of trying to retain the value in that way, um, you know, do, do, do the Glazers have to take it? Or if they do, could they then reinvest the money into something else if they wanted to show you know, that real support? Because there's a disconnect, isn't there, between having, as Andy said, the losses, but also if the, if the team on the pitch isn't performing well, how can you justify saying that you are a sporting excellence uh, as a as a main priority, but then also you're taking money out of the club. Like it doesn't; those two things don't match up, do they? You know. So anyway, we'll see. I just thought it was quite a good thing that at least the fans can have this direct consultation, which obviously, as you say, was was from the Super League collapse. That, that was one of the products of it. Okay, if you want to know more about this, of course, you can go and read the column that's on The Athletic at the moment. Remember, this is the offer, £1 a month for the first six months. If you're a new subscriber, sign up at theathletic.com forward slash Pod. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Okay, we need to do a quick roundup then before we finish the podcast. First up on the agenda, Michael Carrick, Middlesbrough, uh, and an assistant that could well be the former Manchester United assistant, Mike Phelan. Now, Andy, I'd love to come to you on this, but I think it's more important that we give Laurie the opportunity to stake exactly the current situation according to his sources. Take it away, Laurie. Yeah, God, here we go. This is going to get reverse ferreted uh, within 48 hours, isn't it? 
Um, yeah, so anyway. I look forward to I, that. <laughs> do we know what reverse ferret is? Is that like a well-known phrase, by the way? Because I, I said this to somebody the other day, and they're like, what are you on about? And it's basically writing newspapers when... Uh, I've never heard it, but I know roughly what you, you know, mean. You get what I'm yep. saying, yeah. A story's looking one way, and then, no, reverse ferret, we're, we're changing tack. So yeah, I think Mike Phelan is somebody that Michael Carrick respects and, and would be open to having on his coaching staff. Um, so we'll see how that develops. He's still in talks, isn't he, about actually taking the job. It seems like it's going to happen, as we've said now, I think we said it. But um, yeah, but the most interesting thing I thought was just the fact that Phelan is actually still you know, technically employed by Man United. It hasn't been agreed in a severance or, or a new role. There's been an ambassadorial role discussed, um, but I don't think there's been... Um, progress on that so um, yeah I mean I, I I thought maybe would that mean that Middlesbrough would have to pay compensation um, I'm led to believe that you know, United wouldn't stand in any way you know if, if Phelan wanted to take that job um, and Middlesbrough offered it then I think the United would be happy and, and say you know thanks very much for your time and service but it's just an interesting one that it hasn't actually come to a head already. I think people at Middlesbrough like the idea of Michael Carrick coming in there as manager uh, Mike Phelan spent this weekend in Kuala Lumpur working for Malaysian TV. He had stayed on the payroll at Old Trafford. He had a good relationship with Richard Arnold, who I think appreciated some of his football insights as well. But yeah, it, it was an odd situation and absolutely worth worth writing about that he wasn't sacked. It wasn't like, okay, you're out. You just, just carried on getting getting paid. So uh, hopefully there can be a resolution to that where, where all parties are happy. Right, we need to clear up the cryptic thing I said at the top of the podcast about Casimiro being the king of money. There was a bit of a, a bit of a debate, a clash of generations, you might call it, in the WhatsApp group over the weekend about whether it's okay or not to refer to Manchester as Manny. How did it start? Who said Manny first? Can you remember, Andy? Um, yeah, I said it, but, but I don't use it. I, I used it as a derogatory term for pie-eaters who come into Manchester from outside Manchester on a night out and refer to Manchester Hang on a minute. As Our international Manny. audience is going to need pieters explained, I think, as well. People, what, do you mean people from outside the city centre, basically? People from outside of Manchester in the, the satellite towns around uh, Manchester. Eat pies. Well, Wigan are proud to be pieters. They're absolutely... They have a pie contest there. So I said that people who use the word Manny are people from the satellite towns around Manchester who come into Manchester on their biannual night out and say they're going into Manny. And I said that no Mancunian would call Manchester Manny and then got shouted down by some of my younger colleagues who said that, <laughs> well, Carl said, Carl said he uses the word yeah. Manny and so did Laurie. And then he, I, I'm on your side, Andy. Nice so one. having come from Oldham, I'm probably classified as a pie eater mm. in all fairness, but I still wouldn't refer to... Manchester as Manny, it's always been town. Town, I agree. It's town first. Yeah, yeah it's town first. Can I can I clarify that? So but, if, even my like mum would say we're going into town on the bus. Yeah, it exactly. would never be we're going into Manny. I mean, yeah. I think it's more. My mum would never use the word Manny for a start. But. If you're away from Manchester and you're saying I'm I'm going to Manny, whereas if you're like in the outskirts, like I am here, you know, I'm going I'm going into town. Because I've just, I've Googled, well, not Googled, I'm sorry, I've, I've put Manny into my WhatsApps to try and check how this conversation started. And I'm noticing that actually, I have used it quite a few <laughs> times in text messages previously. But people are, oh, there you go. People, people are saying it back to me. I've got like a, a contact here who is, I would say, a pretty, pretty cool guy. Okay, I think he's from London, but 
you know, he's, he's like my age. He, he saved money. Because we thought it was a, a younger generation, didn't we? We thought there's rappers, there's Bugsy Malone, H says because it. Because H said it was money, we decided that only young people like rap music. I think that was another sort of like general assumption yeah. that was made by the group <laughs> as well. First time I heard it was at an Oasis concert in the 90s. And a lad I knew came down from Preston. Paeta. Obviously a paeta or a yonna. That's another word we've got for people like that. Can and we say yonna, that on the podcast? This yonna says... Uh, he said about 20 times, so I hope so. He says, I love coming into Manny. And everyone just looked at him and went, what? He went, Manny? What? The only Manny in Manchester is in the Stone Roses, mate. <laughs> no one calls it Manny if you're from Manchester, but... Clearly, there are people with a different opinion to that. This is great. I've just looked up Yonna on Google, and it's come up with something <laughs> called the Wiktionary, which I've never heard of before, but I guess it's some link to Wikipedia. And it's, it explains it as an unsophisticated resident of the towns of, first up, Oldham. <laughs> so I'm literally the epiph... The, what's the word? Epitome. The epitome. Epiphany. You've had a, an epiphany that you're the epitome. <laughs> of, of a yonna, yeah. You're a yonna. So has Andy just been insulting you without you knowing it? Without me knowing it, yeah. Of the towns of Oldham, Rochdale, or surrounding areas, now more widely applied to residents of any satellite towns of Greater Manchester who speak with a broad Lancashire accent. A Lancashire hillbilly or bumpkin. Yeah, yeah, that's totally accurate. <laughs> Cheers, mate. I'll tell you where I think part of it might have come from. Go back 20 years and... Manchester City tried to claim Manchester as their own and you go out in, in town on a Saturday night and all the bars just be full of United, all the doors, loads of the doors were run by United lads, very well-known figures in Manchester. And we're like, well, if, you, if you're all from Manchester, where are you? Because they were saying, we're the Manchester club, we're the real Manchester club. And like, you go out in town, it's just full of United fans. And I think... An extension of that was you're basically just all Yonas city. You're from Yonas, and and from that came a, a, a chant which suggested that all Manchester City fans came from Stockport. So City started it first by saying, "Do one back to London," saying that United had a load of fans in London. Laurie, aren't you from yeah, Stockport? Yeah, he's, he's taken us both out here today. Written shooting from the hip. United fans st- still sing. Do one back to Stockport. So it's extremely yeah, yeah. pedantic. It's extremely... There was a girl from Stockport. Her name was Hazel Grove. She'd been sporting City since she was eight years old. So the story goes. Yeah. Do you know, I've never heard that, but Hazel, yeah. Hazel Grove was our rival school. Although she's been to every game, she feels she's overdue. She's never seen him win a cup and she's flipping 42. It wasn't flipping and it, it might have not even been 42. It was probably 32 at the time, but it was... A song that was sang when City didn't win anything, basically. We could go even deeper, and we're definitely not doing this on, on this podcast because this would open a can of worms. If you have chips on bread, what do you call it? A balm or a butty? Chip muffin. Or a muffin? Chip muffin. I'd say right. chip butty, I think. So I'd say a chip boy or a chip or or a chip balm. But because you're a yonner... Is it on a piece of bread because, or a muffin? Well, because you're a yonner, you're going to say muffin because you're, you're a farmer from the hills, basically. But if you're from Supposed Manchester... To. Well, also, yonner comes from the reference of it, of me being from yonder, as in, like, it's an old term from around these parts about being from outside, basically. Whichever way you look at it, it's quite insulting, really. I know people from inner-city North Manchester who would 
argue strongly that it's never a bomb, that it's a, it's a muffin. And people, you know, there's, there's big arguments about this, but we'll save that for another podcast because we're going to start getting loads of messages in now saying, it's a chip bomb, it's a, it's a muffin. So can we just clarify, are we allowed to call it Manny then or not? What, what's our verdict? Yeah. I don't think it should be allowed. I think anyone who calls it Manny should stand trial in The Hague. Okay, it's quite extreme. Can people let us know what they think <laughs> in the comments? Yeah, that's probably the best way of deciding it. We, that's the only one we want to decide. We'll have to do a poll. Yeah. Manny in, Manny yeah. out. <laughs> Hashtag Manny in, Manny out. Let us know. Right, well, I've enjoyed that, and I hope we've sort of... Well, we didn't really set the record straight on that, did we, necessarily? We've just opened up the debate, but I look forward to setting it straight in the future. Remember, you can subscribe to The Athletic for more Yonas chat. For just £1 a month for the first six months, go to theathletic.com forward slash Man United pod. But Andy, Laurie, thank you both so much, despite you being from Stockport, Laurie. You're from um, yonder. Andy's just buried us both, basically, hasn't he? Yeah. Yeah, never mind. I'm going to go back to yonder now, so we'll see you on the next podcast. We're back on Thursday, aren't we, after the Sheriff game. We'll speak to you then. Thanks, everyone. Bye-bye. Athletic.